So Daniel chapter 7. Now again, we'll read the entire chapter, all 28 verses. Please give your attention as God's Word is read. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated, His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. 
and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change the times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, as we come to this passage this morning here, we're in a bit of a transition in our study through the book of Daniel because depending on how you break down the book, depending on whether you know, your study Bible might have an outline or something in the, in the beginning of Daniel, and it may divide the book either between chapters 1 through 6 and then 7 through 12, or others might say you know, 2 through 7 and then 8 through 12. But Daniel 7, either way, marks the end of one section and the beginning of another section. And by that I mean it marks the end of the section of Daniel that is written in the Aramaic language. Because if you remember from the beginning, Daniel is written in two languages. It is written in Hebrew and it is written in Aramaic. And the Aramaic is sort of like the, the language of the day. It would be like English today. So it is the language of the world. It is the language the world spoke. So Daniel 7 can be seen as sort of like the end of that message. The end of the message that is sent to the world. But Daniel 7 also marks the beginning of the visionary section of Daniel. The apocalyptic section of Daniel. Because starting with chapter 7 and going through the end of the book, Daniel will receive a series of visions that will... Uh, give him insight into what is going to happen to the people of God and what is going to happen in the world. So either way, Daniel 7 is sort of central to this book. It is probably one of the central chapters, one of the most important chapters of this book. Now, as I said, Daniel 7 is written in Aramaic, so it marks part of Daniel's overall message to the world around him. And in this chapter, we're going to see Daniel here receives this terrifying vision of these four beasts that are rising up out of the sea. 
And in fact, that fourth beast is most terrifying, is particularly dreadful, because that fourth beast seems intent on destroying the people of God. But in this vision, we're also going to see God will judge and will destroy these beasts, and then He will give an everlasting kingdom to His anointed one. And that's the point of today's message. Basically, it is this. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom never ends. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall. That's what we're going to see. But God's kingdom never ends. Now, as we look first in verses 1-8, through we're going to see this vision of these four great beasts. And the passage here begins by giving us some historical context in verse 1 in which we see how uh, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Now you may be thinking, it's like, wait, I thought we dealt with Belshazzar already in chapter 5, right? Didn't he get the writing of the wall? Didn't he get the message? Wasn't he slain? Yeah, well, you have to understand, sometimes Bible books are not written in, in exact chronological order. So here what we're seeing here is that when Daniel writes and says that this occurred in the first year of Belshazzar, this puts what, this vision sort of between the events of chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Daniel. So in a sense we're going a little bit back in time now as we go back to the beginning of the reign of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. And it is during this time, so Nebuchadnezzar is gone, Daniel is still in Babylon serving the the Babylonian court. Belshazzar, the kind of the lame king, is in charge. And Daniel gets this vision. He sees a dream and visions. Now it's interesting because in previous chapters, right, Daniel was the one who was summoned to go and interpret the dreams that the kings were having. Now, no longer is Daniel being summoned. He is the one who is in fact having these dreams. And then we see that Daniel writes the contents of the dream down. Now, as far as the dream and the vision goes, the central part of that dream is given in uh, verses 2 and 3, where Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. That's the thrust of this dream. That's the thrust of this vision that he sees here. This winds, the four winds of heaven stirring up the sea and then causing these four beasts to emerge from the sea. Now, if you've been with us through our study through the book of Revelation, you'll have seen some of these images before. Some of these images will call some of the things we've seen in Revelation to mind as we've as I said, these two books will dovetail quite nicely together. We see here the four winds of heaven indicates essentially when you see four, the number four, think of four points on the compass. Think of the four directions. It encompasses the universality of creation, all of creation. So the winds of heaven, all the winds of the creation are coming and they're stirring up the great sea, which is also symbolic of danger, of chaos, 
and rebellion against God. The sea is where everything bad comes from. So when you hear sea, think bad, very bad. And of course, both the winds and the sea depict danger and trouble. So what results then when these winds stir up the seas? Well, you see these great beasts now begin to emerge different from one another. So now we see in verses 4-8 through eight, how these beasts look. He gives a description of the beasts. We see the first one is like a lion that had eagle's wings. And then when Daniel further considers this, he sees that the wings were plucked off and that this beast now stood like a man. We see a second beast that follows the lion now. One like a great bear raised up on its side and it's got three ribs hanging in its mouth so it's already been eating something and then it's told to go and devour much flesh. So this great second bear-like beast comes out and starts to devour. And then following that beast comes a third one which Daniel sees that is like a leopard that has four wings and four heads. And that beast is given dominion. And then finally, we see the fourth beast, which is unlike any of the other beasts that come before it. It's not even described as any kind of animal. It's so terrifying. It is so dreadful that it does not get an animal-like description except to show that this great beast has great iron teeth that devours everything in its path, and then whatever it doesn't eat, it tramples under its feet. And when Daniel looks further, he sees that this beast is equipped with ten horns. And we see another horn comes up and speaks great and pompous things. Now we'll get into the interpretation of these beasts in a moment. But... Because of its close relationship between chapter 7 and chapter 2, we see that these beasts seem to correspond with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has in chapter 2. When Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he had a dream of a great statue made up of four different metals. And each of those metals were kingdoms. And we're told in that dream that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And then after him would come a kingdom of silver, then a kingdom of bronze, and then a kingdom of of iron. Well, here we're seeing again this idea of four beasts now, four kingdoms. That's what they'll be. You know, they're uh, described as kingdoms a little bit later. But there's this connection between chapter 2 and chapter 7 here. But before we go into a little deeper into this, I want to take just a moment and consider this from Daniel's perspective. Because if you remember, Daniel was taken as a very young man. He was probably 13 or 14 years old when he was taken out of his home in Judah and taken to serve in the Babylonian court. And now it's been about 50 years he's been serving the king here, and he served under several Babylonian kings. And it's while he's been in exile all this time that he receives this dream of these four winds stirring up the great sea to send forth these dreadful beasts. So he, he gets this terrifying dream. It's like, even though the winds and the seas here are, are symbolic of danger and trouble, Daniel is given a vision of who really is in control. Because who controls the seas? Who controls the winds? Who controls the rise and fall of nations? Is it not God who is in control of all these things? 
And Daniel is getting this vision here to sort of give him hope that as even though these kingdoms, these great ugly beasts come rising out of the sea, it is God who is in control. It is God who is the one sitting on His throne. That it is God who will judge these nations. God is sovereign over nature. God is sovereign over the nations. They rise and they fall at His command. The nations think that they are in control of all things, but it is God who is in control of all things. God is the reason why Daniel is in exile. God is the one who is in sovereign control over the length and the severity of Daniel's exile. Daniel is precisely where God wants him to be, and God has preserved him for over 50 years and will continue to preserve him. And I mention all that because Christians today are like Daniel back in that day. We are living in a hostile world. We are living in a world in which its governments, depicted as hideous beasts, are not our friends. And the point of this vision then is to give the people of God a theology of hope. A theology that shows that despite the rise and fall of these great hideous beasts, that God is on His throne. That God will ultimately triumph over the beasts of the earth. Well, as terrifying and dangerous as the vision of the four beasts are, they're not the main focus of the vision. The center of the vision is what we see in verses 9 and 10, where Daniel says, And I watched these four beasts coming up out of the earth, Dreadful and terrifying and disgusting looking. And I watched until thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So after the vision of the four beasts, Daniel sees now another vision of the heavenly courtroom being set up. And we see as the Ancient of Days comes in and takes his seat amongst the heavenly host. And we see here this, this phrase, the Ancient of Days This is a title that is only used in the book of Daniel to describe God, and it speaks of His eternality, His everlastingness, the fact that He is the One who has been around forever and ever and ever. (coughs) That's loud. (laughs) Don't cough into the microphone. Here is the Ancient of Days. He is taking His seat We see his clothing is white, which depicts his purity, his holiness. We see his hair is like wool, which shows us how infinitely wise he is. We see his throne is wreathed in flames. It has fiery wheels. kind of brings to mind the the image of the heavenly throne that we see in Ezekiel chapter 1 that is being carried by the cherubim as they 
bring this, this moving throne of God through the world. So this throne is wreathed in flames with fiery wheels. This is an altogether awesome vision to behold. And we see the heavenly host serving him. It's not just a few angels. It is thousands times thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. How many people here are good at math from high school? What is 10,000 times 10,000? I don't know. It's a big number. It's a one with eight zeros after it, right? 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot. This is not to give you an exact number of the number of angels that are serving Him. It is to tell you that God has an awesome retinue. That God's majesty requires myriads of angels to serve Him. Everything in this new vision is meant to contrast with the previous vision. So as dreadful and as scary as the vision of the four beasts were, this one is glorious and awesome. And the purpose of this new vision is to show God getting ready to judge the nations. The court sat in judgment and books were opened. Whenever you hear that phrase, books being opened, it means God is getting ready to judge. And this judgment is swift. And this judgment is efficient as we see in verse 11. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast, this is the fourth beast, was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So this little horn that we saw in verse 8 speaking the pompous words against the Most High, speaking blasphemous things against God, cursing God with its mouth, the mouth that was given to praise God. It curses God. And here we see now that little horn is finally silenced. And that fourth dreadful beast with the ten horns is utterly destroyed in the judgment of the Ancient of Days. Its body destroyed and given over to be burned. So this fourth beast, which is the most dreadful and destructive of the four beasts, is here reduced to absolutely nothing by the judgment of God. And then in verse 12, we see that the rest of the beasts have their dominion taken, but they are not destroyed like the fourth beast. And then after this judgment then is complete, after the Ancient of Days has destroyed the fourth beast, and after he has taken the dominion from the other three beasts, now we see a vision of the Son of Man as a new phase of this vision commences in verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel sees this vision of one like a son of man. In other words, he appears human. That's what it means to say like the Son of Man, but He is coming on the clouds of heaven and He comes right up to the Ancient of Days 
to receive dominion and glory and a kingdom. And again, if you're thinking this sounds familiar, it is because it is familiar. If you remember again from Revelation, right? Chapter 4 in Revelation, as we see the throne room in heaven, as the hosts of heaven are praising God, calling Him holy, 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 the one who sits in the throne, who is, who was, and is to come. We see that he has, in that, as God is sitting on his throne, he has got the scroll in his hand, right? And no one is found to open the scroll except the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He alone is worthy. And he comes to God to receive the scroll, the title deed of the earth, to receive the dominion and the kingdom that is given to him. Here, Daniel sees a vision of that too. Now, it's hard to capture the weight of this passage because we've referenced this so many times through our study in Revelation and other places because we know that this is prophetic of Jesus. Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And it doesn't just mean that he is a human being. It means that he is referencing this very passage when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. But Daniel had no clue who this referenced. Daniel was just receiving this vision. He had no clue that this Son of Man would be Jesus Christ. In fact, Daniel and the other Jews did believe the Son of Man to be a divine figure, but they had no idea that it would be uh, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But who else can come and receive the kingdom from the Ancient of Days except the Messiah, except the one who is the Son of Man? But the central piece of the central chapter in the whole book of Daniel shows us the more important lesson of the whole book, namely, earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom never ends. And when you're trying to live a life of faith, enduring through adversity, this is something we need to stay focused on. Because we are right now, this very day, living in the world dominated by the four beasts, a world that is characterized by governments that are anti-Christian, a world that is characterized by governments that seek to overcome the people of God, to marginalize the people of God. And what gets us through the day is not trying to make a Christian nation. What gets us through the day is not trying to convert the beast. What gets us through the day is recognizing that one day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of the Son of Man and His Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is what gets us through the day. Well, after receiving the vision, these two visions, Daniel was rightly anxious, as we see in verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. To which I want to say, you think? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I don't think we fully appreciate the emotional toil that uh, having dreams and visions like this has on a person, right? He, this is worse than just waking up in the middle of the night having a bad nightmare, but this is like you're, you are receiving these dreams from God. 
and these, uh, these terrifying dreams of future beasts and all this stuff. Yeah, Daniel's troubled. But apparently, while he's still in the vision, Daniel asks one of the myriad of angels to make known the interpretation of the things. So the angel accommodates him in verses 17 and 18. Where you see, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now that's a short interpretation of a dream that took 14 verses to describe, right? I mean, the vision is 14 verses long of these great beasts arising out of the earth and, and then the Ancient of Days and then the Son of Man coming and receiving dominion. Yet this angel says in a very short, angelic economy of words, he gives you the big picture interpretation of the dream. The four beasts are four kings, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. Now notice what the angel doesn't tell him. The angel doesn't tell him who are the kings or who are these kingdoms. The angel doesn't tell him how long will these kings or kingdoms reign. The angel doesn't tell him how bad it will be for God's people. The angel doesn't tell him when the kingdom of the Son of Man will begin. These are questions I want answered. Right? Who are these kingdoms? What are these beasts? What do they represent? It's almost as if these details are unimportant. Yet these are the details we want to know. <laughs> right? And if you have a study Bible, you probably got copious notes that describe that, well, the first one is Babylon, the second one is the Medo-Persian, the third one is Greece, and the fourth one is Rome. Yet the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> the Bible does not give us who the identity of these kings and kingdoms are. Anything we say would be speculation now maybe educated speculation but it is still speculation in fact given the apocalyptic nature of the vision we're not even sure if the number four is to be taken literally or figuratively again four being representative of all the points on the compass the universality of of creation four could be the universality of all earthly kingdoms but there are so many well-meaning Christian ministries, so many well-meaning Christian ministers who focus on prophecy and they focus on the identity of the beasts. They, they want you to, to read their books and, and, and listen to their podcasts so that you can, you know, I'll tell you who the, who the beasts are. I'll tell you who the little horn is. They lose sight of the big picture, which is earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom never Ends. And even though the angel gives Daniel this very simple key interpretation of the dream, Daniel still tries to pump the angel for a little more information because that's what I would do too if I were Daniel. I'd say, can you at least tell me a little more? Can you tell me about the fourth beast, which is what he does in verses 19 through 20. Daniel says, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell. 
namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So that's Daniel. Can you tell me a little bit more about this fourth beast? And Daniel was troubled because it appears that the fourth beast, or at least that little horn, will make war against the saints and will prevail against the saints. So he asked the angel, can you tell me a little more? And the angel agrees to give Daniel some more information in verses 23 through 27 where he says, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him." So, like we saw before, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that is unlike any that went before it. It will be powerful. It will be ruthless. It will dominate the earth. And then the ten horns that it has represent ten kings who come out of that kingdom. And then there will be another that will come from it and will put down three of the kings. And that fourth one, or that, that other horn, I should say, uh, is a, uh, a blasphemous one who speaks words against the Most High and he makes war upon the saints. We see that this happens for a time, times and half a time in verse 25. We've seen that in Revelation as well, that depiction of that three and a half year period. But just when things seem most bleak, that's when judgment comes. That's when the reign of terror of the fourth beast will come to an end and the everlasting kingdom of the Most High will be established. And again, note how the angel does not identify who that fourth beast is. He does not identify who the ten horns are. He does not identify who the little horn is. Rather, the point is to show that God is in sovereign control over the nations. Their time is limited. Time, times, and half in time. In the, in the grand scheme of things, three and a half years is not very long. And so their time is limited. Their dominion is limited. But God's kingdom is eternal and will have no end. And this is a message of comfort. Again, it's, he's giving you this theology of hope. This theology that God is in control of all things. That it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us. God is in control of all things. It has a message 
of comfort and hope, not only for Daniel, who is troubled by this dream, but also for all of God's people in all ages. Now, from here on out, the book of Daniel moves into visions and dreams that are given to Daniel that will give details of what is in store for God's people in the foreseeable future. And here again is where Daniel and Revelation begin to fit together and why Daniel is called a little apocalypse. But again, we can get lost in the weeds trying to fit all of the details of Daniel's vision into events of world history. Who is the beast? Who is this beast? Who is that beast? Who are the horns? Who is the little horn? The angel does not reveal this. God does not reveal this information to us, which is, in a way, kind of fitting because it means that it's applicable to God's people of all ages. Because if we say that this beast is that kingdom, well, and that happened in the past, then it doesn't bother us anymore. But the point is, is that we are living in the age of the beasts right now. The saints of the Most High, though, this is the central message. The saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. The nations and kingdoms of this world are depicted as great, terrible beasts coming out of the sea that has been stirred up by the winds of heaven, but they are no match for the Ancient of Days when he takes his seat and begins to judge. And for us, the truth stands firm. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom never ends. And the question for us then is, which kingdom defines you? Which kingdom do you want to be a part of? Because there's a theology of hope, but there's also a theology of glory, which seeks glory in this age. It seeks glory in this world. And the kingdoms of this world are in ascendancy right now. Right? They have all the power. They have all of the influence. They hold access to all of the benefits of society. But in the end, the kingdoms of this world are doomed to fail because they are doomed to fall to the everlasting kingdom of the Son of Man. In contrast, the kingdom of God seems weak right now. It seems marginalized right now. It seems foolish right now. But the day is coming when the Son of Man will receive dominion and glory and a kingdom. So again, I ask, which kingdom defines you? Which kingdom do you want to be a part of? To be a, king, a member of the kingdoms of this world, you have to do nothing. You just exist in this world and try to live for all this world has to offer. But if you want to be part of the kingdom of the Son of Man, you need to submit to the King. You need to come to Jesus, repent of your sins. You need to receive Christ by faith. And you need to submit to Him in thankful obedience. If you do that, then you are part of the kingdom that is to come, a kingdom which shall not pass away. Let us pray.